Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Of course, Paul Hazelby is one half of the run home with Hayes and Marto. That is on SEN at 3 p.m. on weekdays. He's also a Fremantle legend and a very good analyst of the game. And he joins us on the show. Hayes, welcome. Thank you, Duff. Great to be with you once again. Yes, mate. Uh, it's a bit blowy outside at the moment. Hey, um, I, I've got to ask you a question. You played for Reese Frio. You coached South Frio, and you played a bit for South Frio, actually, right at the end, I think. Why, why can't East Fremantle beat South Fremantle in a derby anymore? Yeah, I've got no idea. I think uh, it's more of a cultural thing. that I think the South players, they've just had to worm them for a long time. And, yeah, even yesterday, I think the conditions probably helped South Fremantle a bit. I reckon East Frio are the better team. But I think where the hard ball's there to be won, I think in those tight, close contests that uh, Fremantle derbies offer, it's been South Fremantle. So, yeah, disappointing for East because they needed that one to really cement their, their season as a real chance to win the Premiership. Yeah, I, I rate their list and I just watched the way they played the last quarter of that game and it was almost like they were... They, they almost worked on the law of averages. Oh, if we get it in there about 20 times, we'll score the goals we need to win it. And they kicked it to Noah Strom and he marked it and repelled attacks and... Uh, and then because East Fremantle had cleared out their own defence to try and push up and, and score, the, the opportunity was there for South Fremantle to score on the counter-attack, which they did. So it was a fascinating uh, battle. I mean, I'm a South Fremantle boy, so I'm happy about the result. But I am, I am thinking it's not healthy for a rivalry when one team wins 15 in a row, which South now have. Man keeps South in it too. They're only two games outside the top five. It wouldn't that be remarkable if they uh, get up the eight points at the start of a season and find a find a way to get back into the finals. I think they'd be pretty happy with that. and Probably stick it up the uh, footy commission for the original uh, loss of points. Yeah, and even the worst outcome for the footy commission might be if they miss the eight by one game and look mm. like one of the better teams in the comp at the end of the season. Then the uh, the results in the finals have a bit of an asterisk next to them, don't they? So uh, yeah. yeah, they could. It's a good competition, though. I think that's what we want. Only Perth and West Coast and Swan Districts have been competitive, too, so it's great to see from a Waffle perspective. So, mate, new contracts for Nathan Fife and Michael Walters. Two years. I think it was great that the clubs re-signed them, but, but two years. What, what's your view on the term of the contract? Yeah, same. I think it is great. Both players have been really loyal to their football club, and we know there was probably a bit of interest, and there could have been a bit around Nathan Fife, and perhaps maybe that's what led to the two-year deal. But, yeah, for mine, it was one too many probably for both, and it can put you in a vulnerable position because they have some big contracts coming up. One is Brennan Cox, one is Sean Darcy. And you just don't know what will happen over the next two years. If they don't get themselves in a really good position to have a crack at the premiership, you need to be able to pull levers. And I assume that, you know, between the two, it's probably around a million dollars. It's a pretty big lever that you can pull. And you could use that lever to either pay a bit more to keep Cox or Darcy or add an extra year on the contract. Or if you need to bring in another player through free agency or a trade, you've got a million dollars to play with. So, yeah, for that reason, I just didn't think there was any need to sign both of them for two years. I think both stated that they were never going to leave. So one and a performance-based contract saying that if you do play one, you get through a certain amount of games, we'd be happy for you to go on. And even just a discussion at the end of next year, if there is, you know, you get to a point where all parties are happy, just re-sign for one more season. So I thought it was a bit of overkill. Yeah, it's good to see him get him and, and bet him down, as you say, Hayes, but uh, 
two times two for blokes into their early 30s now was in, was an interesting call. I, if I was the list manager at Fremantle, I don't know which way I would have gone, but but I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's a bit of there, – there is risk attached to that, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out for them. The, the, the thing with it, Duff, is the only thing that I can think of is if, you know, let's say it's Nathan Fife who on the open market might have warranted 600000 but he wants a little bit more than that. So the club goes, well, we'll give you 800000 but we'll spread it over two years. So in essence, it's really only an extra 200000 um, that goes into the salary cap next year compared to the six hundred and fifty that you would have probably paid um, at that particular stage or 600000 yeah, no, you're right. I think I believe Fife's contract is four hundred thousand dollars a year, which makes him, you know, that's that's certainly not one of the higher paid um, mm. players at the club. And you would think a similar outcome has been uh, has been negotiated with uh, with Michael to get him to the line. Um, I loved your column throwing up the trade scenario. Talk us through it and and how you arrived at it and and why you think it's a win for all the parties. Yeah, look, you come a bit of criticism for them that uh, you do realise, but a lot of people just read the actual uh, the trade that I threw up. And the trade was based on a premise of asking the questions to the key players in this year's trade period and next year's trade period as they approach free agency. But I think clubs are entitled, because we have seen in recent times where a lot of the power has gone to the players and their managers who are just offering their players up for the best deal. And they've earned that right as well. But I think clubs have lost a bit of power here. So I think they're in their right to ask the question to those players, what are your intentions one year out from free agency? And judging by their response, then they can make some educated decisions on, one, we want to maybe trade this player a little bit earlier. Two, we'll just see what happens and let him go for another season and then we'll deal with free agency. And three, we'll sign them up for a a long-term deal. I think all of those clubs, particularly Fremantle, in the relation to Sean Darcy, will be looking to sign him up for an extra period of time. For me, it's going to get interesting on Sean Darcy because he is a big man. And with Ruckman, I'm reluctant myself. My own philosophy is I wouldn't give a four-year deal or more than four years to a Ruckman just because of what we've seen in the past. They're injury-prone. The competitive nature of Ruck craft can cause injuries to these players but he becomes a free agent at the end of next year a restricted free agent and when you get to that point there are clubs out there that get desperate they start to target free agency and I get the sense more clubs are really starting to target free agency because you get the player for absolutely nothing except for the wage and the contract that you have to give so I reckon if he goes through free agency there'll be clubs that come calling that offer five six maybe even seven year deals to Sean Darcy. Now, for me, Fremantle can't match that. It just makes them vulnerable to what might happen. There'll be a couple of things that could happen. He may not see out the seven years. He may get injured throughout that time. And the evidence is that Luke Jackson could actually overcome him in six months, nine months, 12 months, two years as the number one ruck in that club. So to have him tied up for such a long period of time and have the two of them tied up for a long period of time, I think is has some danger attached to that. So then you ask the question, what are your intentions? Do you want to stay? And in the article I said, well, I would offer Sean Darcy right now a three- to four-year contract, and that would extend him out for four more years because he's still contracted for next year. But in the absence of him not committing to that, 
And I think clubs, and it's Fremel in this example, are in their right to actually explore, well, is there something that we can get for him that may put us in a pretty good position? Because if he leaves as a free agent, the compensation pick right now would probably be after their first pick in next year's draft, which would be, in my mind, hopefully pick 13, 14 or 15. But the value for him right now is a bit more. And then the same could be applied to Tim English and Aaron Norton, who are approaching those milestones. And we think that particularly one of those players, Tim English, may be coming home to the West Coast Eagles. And then I threw in Mitch Georgiati. So it was just a four-way trade that... um, all involving West Australian clubs and players that I thought could work for all those clubs. It's it's impossible to make everybody happy because I understand that fans and supporters of clubs, they overrate their own individual players compared to others. They do. The interesting thing, if you look back through history, Hayes, and you look at these big ticket trades as well, usually the club that gives up the player, i.e. the club that loses the player, actually wins on the trade, which is the, it's an interesting phenomenon about all this. The, the club that's keen to get him will tend to pay more than they should pay. And um, and you even you even go back to the most famous trade of them all, perhaps, the Chris Judd-Josh Kennedy trade. If you, if you view that objectively, West Coast wins that trade, even though they lost the best player that's ever played for them in their history. Um, because Josh Kennedy... Well, was I've a- got it. Yeah, you're spot on. I've got another one that's more recent. And you look at Adam Chera. Everyone's up in arms. Adam Chera's leaving. Why are we taking these Victorian kids? Who do we turn that into? Jai Amos. Jumping Jai Amos, who could now become the greatest full forward, or one of the greatest full forwards Fremantle's ever had. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. What If Sean Darcy, and, and for Dockers fans out there who may be reaching for the text button apoplectically as we speak, we're talking hypothetically here, and we're just talking about what might be possible. If Sean Darcy wasn't prepared to commit but you couldn't facilitate a three-club trade like the one you envisaged, what would Sean Darcy be worth if Fremantle said to him, well, we'd like to trade for you while we can trade for you, say, at the end of this season? Look, I think there'll be an arrangement with those two parties. I think Sean Darcy will end up with the Fremantle Dockers, but I fear, I do fear that the Dockers will sign him on a long-term contract because they'll be forced to because of the nature of free agency. Um, Ruckman are really hard to gauge. Like we've just seen Collingwood have two Ruckman that basically you know, came from nowhere. One was discarded by his own club in um, um, Cameron and the other one in Cox, who's from America. And you know, they formed a really powerful combination. Then we look at Fremantle and we've got two that will probably command $1.8 million tied up in those two when the deal is done for Sean Darcy. On the open market, look, I think he could be any worth up to anywhere towards the top 10 pick, probably around 10. Could be the go for a club that is desperate for a ready-to-go Ruckman who's in really good form and is in conversation for All-Australian right now. You look at Luke Jackson last year and what he commanded, that was two first-round picks future first round for the Fremantle Dockers as well. Uh, but he was a lot younger, and I guess the upside to him is probably a little bit more, hopefully, for Jackson and the Fremantle Dockers. What do you reckon is the asking price for Sean Darcy? Uh, if I was trading him at the end of this year, and again, stressing, speaking hypothetically, I'd want something inside the top ten. I think you've got a yeah. contracted player. Um, if you if you take the Jackson trade... As a as a as a slight guide, remembering Jackson is younger with you know potentially more upside. 
Um, but I, I think Darcy is right up there as one of Fremantle's most important players. He's certainly not old as far as rucks go. So you'd be, if you were an opposition club that got him, you'd be looking at five to six good years out of him. Um, yeah, I, I think he, you'd want to be inside the top 10. And the reason I asked you that question is that they're talking two to three young West Australians inside that top 10. Would you try and parlay a, a top 10 pick, say, for Sean Darcy into something else, or would you be looking at taking one of those kids and getting even more young talent into the Fremantle lineup? Uh, well, you've got to be careful, I think, with the young talent, and this is an interesting dynamic, and probably suggests why Fremantle have signed up Fife and Walters, is they're all in for the now. And that is the risk you take too, because if you were to change your Ruckman right now with Sean Darcy going out, and you think you're a chance to win it next year or the year after, to go back to a young kid probably doesn't help them in the now. And I think with any list build, it does get to a stage where, right, enough about the future, we've now got to start to to hone in a little bit about uh, what we have and, and how we can be competitive right now because the list has been built that way since basically 2016. Hey, you've seen half the season played basically now. Who's your team to beat? Oh, Collingwood, absolutely. They, I didn't think they played very well the other day against the West Coast Eagles. In fact, West Coast pulled their pants down in a lot of aspects of the game except for inside 50 conversion and putting it on the scoreboard. So they still won by the margin they did, so they've clearly got some weapons when they do get on their own terms. Port Adelaide, you can't hide from them. I think they're playing some very good football. Um, outside of that, I think Brisbane is another one that can certainly challenge. And then you've got a bit of a pack that's uh, developing underneath that. I think Fremantle can make a bit of a run. I've gone through their remaining games, and I do see at least seven wins in that, which gets them in the finals. And if they can sneak eight, and they could sneak nine, then all of a sudden you're starting to talk about getting towards you know, four, five, and six on the AFL ladder. But they've taken on the best teams in recent times, and you'd think there'd be some improvement still to come from that list that's um, you know, been building over the last four weeks just with Jackson O'Meara coming in and those youngsters uh, rising once again. I reckon we'll get a better gauge on the viability of that trade idea you had too after the next couple of weeks because Sean Darcy, you would think, would miss probably two matches with a hamstring issue that comes out of the Melbourne game, which means you get a look at Luke Jackson exposed for the full 120 minutes as the as the number one ruckman. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Bit of a danger game against the Tigers, particularly with some wet weather um, tip for um, Optus Stadium on Saturday. Yep, always a danger game against the Tigers. When they get it on their terms, they can score heavily and they play an exciting brand of footy. And, and I guess the win that they had on the weekend is actually significant because it keeps them in it. They've got a sniff that they can still play finals footy. They're not too far below the Fremantle Dockers. They've got that draw and I think they're one and a half games below. So they are approaching every game like it's their last chance to play finals footy. So it makes them dangerous. Jack Rewalt was back into a bit of form. They've still got some good players going through the midfield. They'll get a couple of players back from injury as well. So, yeah, it's a dangerous game, absolutely. And you always fear sometimes teams coming off the bye, but they come back with the same sort of energy. And that would be a shame for the Dockers because if they do lose, then the buys come at the wrong time for them. Quick last word from you. We'll have Josh Kennedy coming up after the news, obviously to talk about West Coast, but you would have seen the game on the weekend. Jordan Degoe, how many weeks for the hit on Elijah Hewitt? Four weeks for that hit on Elijah Hewitt. I didn't think it was a weak act or a dog act. It was just a football act that went a bit wrong for him. And I think sometimes we ask a lot of our players 
um, in the moment that he was trying to apply pressure. And from the coaches, they get told to be aggressive, to get up in the grill in the face of other opponents when the time is right. He just miscalculated that. But the whole uh, saga after it from West Coast has been uh, quite humorous to uh, listen and watch to. Yeah, I do. Look, I guess you wouldn't say to their social media team, do that. But I, the, the apologies from them and Dom Sheed, I just thought, you know what? No, I agree with you. It's it's not a weak act or a dog act or anything like that. It's an act gone wrong, but it's still late. It's still high. They've still got the player with concussion. So Jordan Degoe is going to get, and I absolutely agree with you. I think it's a four-week um, offence. So um, I'm not sure why they had to walk it back and apologise. Just um, just put it out there. You know, we weren't particularly happy about it, as you wouldn't be if one of your young players got concussed. Um, Jordan Degoe sits in the grandstand for a while. And uh, I think Dom Shee's comment was he gets a month or two. Well, if he gets four weeks, that's a month. So he was within, yeah, he was within the parameters. <laughs> and he says that after the game too, without the luxury of uh, you know, watching the replay over and over. He would have looked up and glanced up at the screen once. So I had no problem with that issue, with yeah. him saying that. Yeah. Um, West Coast Eagles even coming out on social media, no problem. So... I think uh, sometimes you'll stand for something, and yeah, I would have liked them just to uh, keep with it and move on, and uh, be happy with the comments made by their players, and maybe just learn from it. Absolutely, Hayes. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks you so much for joining us on the show today, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week after hopefully the Dockers have taken care of Richmond. Thanks for your time, Duff. We'll do it next week. Paul Hazelby, of course, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo. It's on SEN at 3pm every weekday. And uh, he's always a regular with us on Tuesday morning. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call on our open line, 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break.